Reading of the Word of God this morning here. Take your Bibles and turn for the fourth Sunday in a row to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. I'd like to read the five text verses that we read last week. And then I invite you to turn to John chapter 3 after Luke 2. And we'll read together our, our text verse here in just a moment. Allow me to read all five verses found in Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. And then we'll again return to John chapter 3, and we'll instruct you on which verse to read when we get to John chapter 3. Luke chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Allow me to read the scriptures, please. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then if you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3, I'd like to read verse number 16 as our text verse. And let's read that all in unison together, ready to begin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Could we read that one more time? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you take the word of God in this morning and make it afresh and anew in our hearts and lives. Lord, speak to every heart this morning. Lord, thank you for every single person that's here this morning. Bless them and bless our children as well. May it be said that it was all, by all those good to be in the house of the Lord. Well, thank you for it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would, please, to Luke's Gospel for the fourth Sunday in a row. I don't mind telling you that I stole from the liturgical, liturgical church, you people that were in Protestant churches or even a Catholic church growing up and had the mislets and so forth. I was turned on about five weeks ago in no, no, November, last week in November, I came across the, the five candles, the five uh, candles of Advent, of course, and I said, you know, that would make a great message, first candle being that of hope, and of course, we preached on hope in a hopeless world, and our hope is a blessed hope, it's a no-so hope. We know who we, we believed in. We preached on peace in the peaceless world, the peace that passes understanding, and based on the Prince of Peace. And last Sunday, of course, we preached on joy, joy in a joyless world. And out of this world joy, it was announced first by the angels who came from heaven. It was unspe- it's an unspeakable joy the world doesn't know anything about. It's an inner joy. It's an abiding joy, thanks to the Holy Spirit of God. And then Wednesday night, of course, we preached on the fifth candle in the, in the series of the Advent uh, month of December, Christmas, of course. We preached on the fifth candle, which is obviously the candle of light representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And we did that, obviously, on Wednesday night. This morning, our text verse in Luke would be Luke in chapter number 2 and verse number 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son... And wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. The gift of love was gift wrapped in swaddling clothes. 
We looked at it last week again, and we'll just touch on it. Those swaddling clothes, rags, grave clothes. And as we sang the song, he was born to die. He was born, in, he, he, born on earth. He came to this earth so he might die, that we might live. We were born to live. Adam and Eve were created to live forever. And the, the sin came and they died. But God, God lives forever and he came and died that we might live. It's a gift of gifts. In Galatians 4.4, 4, the Bible says, But when the fullness of time has come, God came right at the right time. We touched on two weeks ago on the Pax Romana, regards to the time of about a 200-year period of history in the, when the Romans ruled the world in the so-called peace of Rome, which was not a real, real peace, to be honest with you, of course. But he came at the right exact time, 2,020 years ago, right on schedule. But when the fullness of time is, was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, not born of a woman, but made of a woman, made under the, the law, to redeem that under the law, uh, to become a curse for us who knew that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This love that came gift wrapped in swaddling clothes is referred to in Romans chapter 8, 5 and verse 8. He came, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ came to die for us. Then, of course, the verse that we all know so well, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. We're talking about the gifts of Christmas this morning, the gift of love. Love in a loveless world. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then, uh, and I don't mind saying it here on the last Sunday of 2020, pretty lean crowd this morning. I'm glad you're within the sound of this voice here this morning. And as I look across the room, I... I, I know every one of you, at least to one degree or another. I know we, we know each other, some of us, pretty well, of course. And as I, with my human mind, I can only get into your heart just from, uh, from a distance away if I see, see some fruit and so forth. I think I'm preaching to all, my guess is I could be wrong, but I'm preaching to all saved people this morning, all people that are born again, people that know the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel in one verse, John three sixteen. On purpose, I want to quote it one more time together. If we can all do it together, I think everyone. I won't ask if anybody cannot quote it, but it should have been in the first verse that you learned as a Christian. The Bible says, "For God, can you quote it with me? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life." How many thousands of times have you heard that verse? How many times have you seen it at a football game and behind the goalpost, the reference at least? Thousands and thousands of times. I'm preaching to people that this morning here that heard this message, this Magna Carta of the Christian faith, this Rosetta Stone of the Christian Christianity, this gospel in a nutshell, these 25 words of the message of hope. And if you know nothing of the Bible, you start with John 3.16. If you know everything in the Bible, you return to John 3.16. It's the whole Bible in a nutshell. There's a paradox, and Brother Tony could attest to this, and Justin already can have a little bit of wherewithal in regards to what I'm saying. There's a paradox about John 3.16. It's the easiest verse in the Bible to preach on. It's also the hardest verse in the Bible to preach on. It's the tenderest verse in the Bible. It's the toughest verse in the Bible. You may be surprised by this, but I speak from authority when I tell you this. It's the most loved verse in the Bible by many, and it's the most despised verse in the Bible by some as well. 
It's despised by, you may be shocked when you hear me say this, but there's some Christians that despise John 3.16. I've heard many times, a number of times in my own ears, Christians say, I hate John 3.16. And somebody say, I never heard that text. I never heard that before. I've heard it with my own ears numbers of times. Because it's a misconstruing of what love is. We're talking about love in a loveless world. This is a paradox. You could have turned me off seven minutes ago as soon as you figured out he's preaching on John 3.16. I can do this in my sleep. I dare say, not only can we quote it, I, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, I probably can quote this verse in my, when I, in my dreams. We've heard it so many times. It becomes, if we're not careful, the, the familiarity breeds contempt. We can be, be mundane to the precious things of God. To the greatest verse in all the Bible can be the most despised verse in all the Bible. With that said, I want to take a part in this. You say, Preacher, where did you get this message from? Let me tell you, and Pastor Tony knows this again, and Justin's knowing this. There's hundreds of books. No, I take that back. There, I'm sure there's been thousands of books, volumes written on John 3.16 alone. There are not hundreds of sermons that have been preached, not thousands of sermons that have been preached, not tens of thousands, not even low hundreds of thousands, but millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of sermons have been preached on John 3.16. I have my cheat books, I call them, my cheat sheets. and my, I, There's outlines you can find on John 3.16 by the hundreds and by the thousands. I stole one of the thousands myself here. This is not mine. This is a stolen message from somebody who stole it from somebody else who stole it from somebody else who stole it from somebody else. I want you to notice this morning as we take apart this, this, this verse of all verses, this Magna Carta of the Christian faith, this Rosetta Stone, this gospel in a nutshell. I want you to consider, first of all, this morning, the origin of God's love. The origin of God's love. Love starts with God, for God himself. The origin is God himself. He's the author. He's the architect. He's the originator. He's the creator. He's the personification of love. The God of the Bible. Not the God of Allah. Not the God of Islam. Not the God of, uh, of, of the Hindus. Not the God of Confucius. But the God of the Bible is the originator of love. We've been talking to some folks about the possibility of maybe heading down to Washington, D.C. in a couple of weeks, possibly on January 6th. Some of you know what's going on. Some of you don't know what's going on. That's okay. And somebody was asking me this week, well, what do we do when we get there? Are we going to take up arms? Are we going to get out the guns and start shooting people? I don't think so. We don't do that. We don't, uh, we don't burn down buildings, last time I checked. We don't uh, spray paint buildings and uh, destroy people's property. And we don't, we don't go, we're not an army of hate, we're an army of love. And God himself is our captain, author and finisher of our faith. God is... God is love. Two things about this origin of God's love. For God so loved. First of all, letter A on the worksheet. He is love. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. Long before I ever came to know Christ as my Savior, as a little boy, I learned a song. So I went to something called Vacation Bible School. You kids are only, I guess we've got a couple of adults in the room here. I remember the day I was, we never went to church, but we went to not one week of vacation Bible school. We went to two weeks of vacation Bible school. And it was like three and a half hours in the morning, and it was two solid weeks worth. That's where I first learned some of the songs of the faith. I learned the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. 
Then I learned Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the children, little children of the world. One of the first verses I ever memorized for a star on my paper was, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God himself is the origin of his love. He is the personification of love. He is love. He is the very embodiment of love. Not only is he, is he love, but then 1 John 4.10 tells us, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He loved us first. We didn't love him. Now, I don't want to get negative. I'm not preaching to any of you this morning, and that's the, that's the truth. I'm preaching to the wind right now, to the air. The house of God is pretty sparse this morning. I don't want to be negative. I'm just being honest. Just look around. A lot of green I'm looking at. Now, we could say a lot of people, and boy, this year has been a year of, of grand excuses, of course, and been valid excuses for many people. We've never had a year like this past year, of course, and I've referenced it almost every week. This year of, and I don't even like to say the word, as you know. And many people have stayed out on purpose on, for good reasons, and I'm thankful for that. But many people have got the grand excuse now to stay out of the house of God. And I think of the fact that we're not going to heaven because we love God, but we're going to heaven because he loved us. And we're not going to heaven because of our faithfulness. We're going to heaven because of his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. God loved us. We love him because he first loved us. And so we see the origin of God's love. For It comes from God himself. Not our love. Uh, the houses of God would be filled. If we loved God like we should or even half like we should, the houses of God would be packed overflowing. Nobody could stop us from getting in the house of God. But not only is, do we see the origin of God's love, but then the Bible says, for God so loved the, can you help me out? The world. Notice the object of God's love, the world. Now, there's two Greek words used in our King James Bible for the word world. The one is aeon, or eon. We get our word eon or time, even unto the end of the world. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it says that we should go to the gospel, preach the gospel, go to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, even unto the end of the age or end of the world. But this is not the word eon. This is the word cosmos. Of course, we get our word cosmetology from, or cosmopolitan, I should say, or cosmic. But God does not love the fishes in deep blue sea, per se. His love is for, some of you will get this, for you and me. It's for God's children. It's for, it's for not, he doesn't love the birds and the fishes and the fowl and the trees and the leaves and the sun, the moon, and the stars. He doesn't worship those things, but he, the object of God's love is humankind in that word world. In, first, in Genesis 1, 26, you need not turn there, and God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness. I used to think as a young person, of course, that God had a body and God, God looked like us and we have two arms and two hands and most of us and two legs and two, two feet and ears and eyes because God has those. And those are metamorphic, those, those are... Uh, but it's not talking about the image that, that's not the image that we have. We have the image of, of a God image, a God-likeness, a sin, sin consciousness, a soul consciousness, a self-consciousness. All things that are pertinent in the, 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 the image of God. In Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And so this object of God's love, for God so loved the world. He loved every male, every female. He loved every boy and girl, every man and woman. Three things about this world, when we think of this world, first of all, Romans 5 and verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the wicked world, the wicked in the world. Uh, there are many people that uh, you can always find somebody more sinful than you are. You can always find somebody. If you, if you know the sins of the sins of my deepest, scarlet, most scarlet sins were displayed on this screen behind me. First of all, I wouldn't be here if it would happen. And secondly, you wouldn't be here if it happened as well because you'd say, I could never listen to a man like that. He's such a sinner. Many people can't listen to a David. David was a mass murderer. David was a multi-polygamist, of course. David had a lot of sins, but he was a man after God's own heart. He was cleansed. Paul, it was said that Paul, in regards to the wicked, wicked in the world, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you know it? Of whom I am chief. And so the object of God's love is the world, humankind. It's the wicked in the world. There's no sin that God cannot forgive other than the sin of not, not confessing him as Savior, not receiving him as Savior. But not only the wicked in the world, but the worthless in the world. When I consider the Psalm 8 says, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast created or ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of, or the son of man that thou visitest him? When you think of the worthlessness of man. You know, the evolutionist or the agnostic or the atheist has something right in the sense that they, they say, we're nothing but dust. We're gonna, we, we came from the earth and we returned to the earth. And in essence, that's true in regards to our body. I remember many years ago now, maybe 20 years ago, visiting back home in Ohio and I was with Evangelist Mike Patterson and a couple other preachers. We were back in our home church in New Lyme, Ohio and we went to visit Miss Abby Montgomery, Mrs. Abby Montgomery, she was at 98 or 99 years old at the time. I think she did to be 101, 102. A black lady in our church from Alabama and moved up to northeast Ohio. Her husband was a Baptist preacher for almost like 60 years. I never met him, but she was schooling us. She was taking us to school and, and in a good way. She was teaching us preacher something, and I'll never forget in her Alabama accent, she said something like this, We ain't nothing but dirt. Your dirt's just a little bit cleaner than my dirt. He says, but we ain't nothing but dirt. And she was wrong about that. Her dirt was probably way cleaner than our dirt for the record. But the fact of the matter is we're nothing but dust. And to think that God would love dust, to love you and I, wonder of wonders, that Jesus loves me. And so this object of God's love, when he says, for God so loved the world, that's humankind, the wicked in the world, the worthless in the world, but then the, the world, the whole world, in hermeneutics, they have a, it's a study of the right proper exegesis of, of, the, of the word of God, of the scriptures. In hermeneutics, one of the first rules is when the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. So when God says, for God so loved the world, you know what that means? It means that God so loved the world that he gave, loved, loved uh, he's a propitiation, 1 John 2.2. 2. He's a covering Hilaspas for our, our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. First Timothy four and verse number ten says, 
who is is the savior of all men, especially those that believe. The atonement was not a limited atonement. It was an unlimited atonement. All that come to him can come to him and be saved today. It's a wicked doctrine that teaches that God only died for the elect. This is not a reformed church. This is not a a Protestant church. This is not something that just we just evolved our theology 500 years ago or 450 years ago. We go back to the time of Christ. And Jesus said, and the, the, John the, the apostle said, uh, he's a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He died for the sins of the whole world. And so, for God so loved the world, four things. It's not in your worksheet. I just want to give this real fast and quickly. In regards to this love for the whole world, this love is all-encompassing. Again, we sang the song, we used to sing the song, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus is colorblind, of course. Red and yellow, black and white, rich, poor, bond or free, man or woman, boy or girl, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor. Jesus is, uh, died for all. His love is all-encompassing. Secondly, second truth about God's love for the world. It's in a, it's in a was coming in the form of a perfect sacrifice. In, that, in the, the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. But God commendeth his love toward us, Romans 5, 8. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love to the world is all-encompassing. It's a perfect sacrifice. His love is steadfast and unmovable. In John, Romans chapter 8, verse 39, the Bible says, And to know that and what shall separate us from the love of Christ shall... For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is in or love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We see this love that's steadfast and unmovable. He loves you the same love that he loved you the day you got saved, the day he loved you before the foundation of the world, knowing that you were going to receive him as the Savior. That's true. So his love is steadfast and immovable. His love is in a per, was in a form of, of a perfect sacrifice. His love is all-encompassing. But fourthly, his love is personal. It's true that God loved the world, but he loves Augustine, the early church father, said God loves each of us as if, we were, if, if there were only one of us. He loves me like I'm his only child, the songwriter said. And so we have this subject of God's love, the world. It's that's humankind, the wicked in the world, the worthless in the world, the whole world. But then I want you to notice, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, I want you to consider the operation of God's love. Three parts of that, whosoever. First of all, God gave. God gave. He gave an unspeakable gift. He gave his son, he gave his best he gave him his all. I was thinking we spent uh, Christmas Day with six of our 14 grandchildren. And I had these thoughts as a grandpa. No offense, but uh, uh, there maybe one or two people in this room. I'm talking about my wife and maybe my kids as well. But if I had to make the cruel choice of sacrificing one of my grandchildren for you, I'm not trying to be mean or trying to be fresh or silly. I wouldn't. Not my grandchild. Brother David, just caught your eye. I might love you, but not, 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 not that, that much. Between my grandchild and you, you're on, slim, you're on thin ice, my friend. I love you. 
Because we love our grandchildren. We love our children. But God gave his son, his only son, his only begotten son, his monogenes, his one and only son. He gave for people that don't care. People that despise his name. People that don't live for him. Even Christians. That whosoever God gave, he gave his best. He gave his only son. He gave all that he could. He gave himself. Think about that. Emmanuel, God with us. I can never explain. I used to, Justin was in 815 service. I, I, it blows my mind. It's one of the, the mysteries of the scriptures. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God separated himself from God. Now that's impossible. I can't explain it. It's a mystery. It's the greatest mystery of all the Bible. God turned his back on God. God can't even be separated. But Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. He became our sin bearer, our savior, our, our substitute. And so this whosoever, this operation of God's love began with a gift. He gave his only begotten son. God's operation of this whosoever requires belief. You must believe before you receive. Believe in the name of Jesus. Peter said in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Philippians 2.8.9, That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. I look forward to that day. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The day is coming when things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue will confess that that name is above every name, that that name is Jesus is Lord. I look forward to that day in a, maybe a reverential way, but in my tainted sinful nature in a vindictive way. Those that mock the name of Jesus, those that use his name in cursing all their life. I look forward to that day when they bow their knee and I'll be humbled on that day. We'll bow the knee too, but we'll bow willingly, gladly, humbly and thankfully. The God requires belief, belief in the name of Jesus, that if thou shalt, Romans 10, 9, confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There must be belief, first of all, in your heart that Christ came to this earth, that he lived a human life, a perfect life, that he died on the cross, that he was buried three days and he rose again the third day, and he ascended up in glory and he's coming back again. So this whosoever, this operation of God's love requires the fact that, first of all, God gave, that God requires belief. But then thirdly, let her see on our worksheet, there must be a personal acceptance. I've used it 187 times. Here's 188 for sure, maybe more than that. But I went to that little country Baptist church in New Lyme, Ohio. I heard the gospel preached. The preacher took me to his back office. I don't remember all the verses he shared with me. I do remember one. And I always like to use it in my testimony. John 1.12 it is. I always like to quote 11 first. He came unto his own and his own received him not. I didn't understand this 11-year-old boy that was talking about the Jews versus the Gentiles. But then he quoted me or he showed me the verse, but as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. It's one thing to believe. It's another thing to receive. There's a false doctrine out there, and I don't want to go back to uh, the Reformed theology, but uh, 
of, of just acceptance, if you will. Well, I believe that Jesus died for me. That's good. Devils believe also and tremble. There must become a calling for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there must be a personal acceptance of Jesus Christ. Whosoever will may come. John's, one of John's favorite words of the Gospel of John in Revelation, also John the Revelator wrote, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. The operation of God's love. And so we see the, the origin of God's love for God himself, for God so loved the world. We see the object of God's love, the world, humankind, the wicked in the world, the worthless in the world, the whole world. The operation of God's love that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. But then we get to the last part of that verse that people seem to leave off sometimes. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. The outcome of God's love. Two things about that. If you're in John chapter 3, he said, I don't need to turn there, preacher. I... I already know the verse here. We probably need to turn there more than anybody else if we didn't need to turn there for the record. But verse number 17 says this, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. I look forward to the day this world is condemned. That's Marty Schott and his sinful, sinfulness probably talking. I admit it. I look forward to that. Every knee bowing and every tongue confessing. The God-haters, the Christ-haters, the mockers. I look forward to that day, maybe not in a spiritual way, but maybe in a carnal way right now. But that day, I'm sure God will cleanse my wicked mind and I'll be thankful for the praise of his name and praise and glory of his name. But for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, unlike you and me, that want to cast judgment on this world and many times, and I guess I'm speaking to myself, but that the world through him might be saved. The outcome of God's love, first of all, it's based on respect. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Jesus has offered an invitation to some very wicked people, some Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and Christ-haters. They, and ultimately, they put them on the cross. And he said unto them, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He, I've said it many, many times, God's a gentleman God. He'll not barge his way into anyone's heart, but he stands and asks in mission. All day long, he's holding out his arms. John 3.16, how many football fans do we have in America and around the world, for that matter, that have seen thousands of times, hundreds of times, they've watched hundreds of football games They've seen John 3.16 up at the goalposts there. They've had to think once upon a time, one time in their mind, what's, what's that JN 3.16? And I would say the vast majority know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's the fact of the matter is with this salvation that's based on respect. You can procrastinate. I don't think I'm talking to anyone. I might be talking to somebody and I don't know it. You can say, well, I believe, I, I believe up here that Jesus is the Savior, but you've never personally received him as your Savior down here. You can say, someday, 
I'll be saved, not now, maybe another day. Almost persuaded. Come back some more convenient day. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 reminds us, for he saith, I've heard thee in a time accepted, as he came in the fullness of time at the perfect time. There's a time, I believe, where God gives, uh, there's something, something to be said to be sending away your day of grace. Why not come to Jesus now? Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. One of the most dangerous things that can happen to somebody is they hear the message of John 3.16 like you're hearing right now and go away unconverted, uh, unregenerated, unchanged, without procrastinating. God's a gentleman, God. He'll not (laughs) knock on your door. It's loud the next time. Someday, someday, you won't hear a still small voice. But others say in this fact that he said it's based on respect, it's based on choice. Some say, I can't, uh, I, don't, I can't be saved, I don't deserve it. Well, you're right about that, nobody deserves it. If you think you deserve it, you don't. You can't be saved. But some say, my sin is too bad, too, I need to clean up my act before I get, receive Christ as my Savior. You'll never clean up your act. All our righteousness are filthy rags. Others say, no thanks, I don't want to. I'm all set. I'm okay. Don't worry about me. This indifference. In Jude 22, I'm preaching to all Christians this morning. I need to preach it a little bit hot this morning. I preach very lovingly, though. In Jude 22, and some have compassion making a difference. Some are saved by hearing the love of God. But Jude 23 says, and others saved with fear, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh, pulling them out of the fire. I was saved by fear. I was saved by hearing about a hot hell, a fiery, fiery hell, an eternal pit of, of perdition and destruction and be torn in day and night forever and ever and ever. And I was, I was scared into heaven. But here's the punchline in regards to God requires or this, this outcome of God's love. It's based on respect and based on choice. The choice is simply this. You can go to hell if you want to. The choice is yours. God will not barge his way into heaven or make anybody go to heaven against their will. Can you imagine? Brother Tim and I were talking about, Tim Butler were talking about this other day. You know, when most people die, or somebody that died just this past week, it's kind of a weekly occurrence. Most always you hear these words, well, he, he or she, who are dependent on it's a male or female, they're in a better place. Are they, Christian? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. God won't part his way into anyone's heart. There's not a universal heaven for every sinner that never comes to Christ as Savior. But then I want you to notice verse 18 of John chapter 3. It says in the last point in a couple of applications were done. He that believeth on him is not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 But he that believeth not that he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
Notice the outcome of God's love. It's based on respect, but secondly, it's based on response. You must call upon the name of the Lord. I've already said to said it in a number of different ways, but Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, Jehovah God says, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Hey, Christian, I'm talking to everybody in this room that I think is a Christian, which is pretty much everybody. I hath not seen, nor ear hath heard, nor hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. We don't know how good heaven's going to be. We can't figure it out. We can't comprehend it in our wildest imagination. God said, Call on me, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Romans 10.10, That if thou shalt confess in thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that the God hath raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, excuse me, verse 10, Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I asked the question this morning, why did God love me? Why does God love you? John three sixteen, The greatest love ever shown. The greatest gift ever given. The greatest opportunity ever offered the greatest future ever imagined. Our eternal destiny depends on, upon our choice. Perish your life rest on our choice. Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide in the strife of truth or falsehood for the good or evil side. But to every man there openeth a highway high and low and a low, and every man decideth which way his soul shall go. Man doesn't have a living soul. Man is a living soul. You were created to live forever in a place called heaven or a place called hell. And the choice is up to you. Love in a loveless world. All day long, Jesus said, I've stretched out my arms and all that comes to me can come unto me. But there are many that have spent their whole life that have never come to Christ. How sad that is. But God gave his son, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, Gave his, he had him wrapped in swaddling clothes because he was born to die. Die that we might live and have that life in Christ. It's the origin of God's love, the object of God's love, the operation of God's love, the outcome of God's love. Let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, it's for the third time or so I could be wrong in regards to the thought that everyone here is saved. I know that everybody that I know of, the Lord claims to receive, has received Christ, but Lord, maybe there's one here that's not saved this morning. Maybe they've all their life, they've heard the story, maybe, they've, maybe they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, maybe they believe he died on the cross, but they never personally called upon Christ alone to save them. God, this could be their last time to ever receive Christ as Savior. Do a work of grace in hearts and lives. Maybe there's one that I'm overlooking this morning that needs to be saved this, today. Then, Lord, I pray for Christians. I pray for your children. Lord, I'd like to pray for those many, many hundreds, really, Lord, that are not within the sound of this voice. Lord, are not in church anywhere this morning. Lord, some for good reasons, some for health reasons, but others for just uh, no reason at all, really. Just another excuse to stay out of God's house. Lord, I thank you that our, our love doesn't, isn't contingent upon, or our, our salvation isn't contingent upon our love for you, but... Our salvation is contingent on your love for us. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you, dear God, for the gospel in a nutshell. Lord, bless these moments of invitation, we pray, and I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we stand together, 154 in the hymn book, a song we don't sing very often.